Welcome to Menopause Uprising, the Wellness Warrior podcast with me, Catherine O'Keefe. On today's episode, I'm chatting to Dr. Sarah Callaghan from Complete Women's Health in Dublin about menopause. We discuss many aspects of menopause from the symptoms to an in-depth discussion on HRT and the various options that you can look at in your journey. So, Sarah, HRT, I think it's one of the most complex subjects I've ever come across. So I think over the next 40 minutes or so, what we really want to try and do, and I know you're um, a great oracle in this area, is just simplify it, break it down so people listening can just understand what is HRT for one yeah, sure. Well, I do spend a lot of time talking about HRT, so I have, I think, hopefully managed to distill it down into um, a fairly simple explanation. To be honest, it is actually quite easy to understand when it's, I think, put to you in, in kind of clear terms. So HRT, it stands for Hormone Replacement Therapy. So what we're talking about in terms of these hormones is oestrogen and progesterone. So oestrogen and progesterone are two of the f- hormones that we as females have in our bodies. And it as you go through menopause and menopause, the oestrogen levels can begin to drop because the ovary, ovarian production of the oestrogen is not as good as it was previously. So what we're doing with the HRT is that we are replacing the oestrogen and uh, restoring the, the levels of oestrogen in your body um, to allow you to not suffer from symptoms of oestrogen deficiency or low oestrogen. So that means that your HRT is going to contain oestrogen. Now, it also will, for most women, contain progesterone. And the reason it contains the progesterone is that uh, we need progesterone to protect the lining of the womb from the oestrogen. If we give oestrogen on its own, it can cause changes in the lining of the womb, thickening of the lining of the womb, which can be be problematic over time. So for that reason, we have to give progesterone with the oestrogen. Now, there is one um, exception to that, and that's if for any reason you've had your womb removed or you've had a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. So if you've had a hysterectomy, you uh, generally will not need progesterone. But otherwise, your HRT regime will contain oestrogen and progesterone. And the way I explain it to ladies who come to see me is that the oestrogen is, um, to put it very simply, fixing your symptoms and the progesterone is protecting the lining of your womb. Now, mm. that is a very simplified way of putting it. But I think when you're going through perimenopause and menopause and your brain is foggy and you're feeling tired and you need clarity and you need short, simple mm. messages. So that's the way I explain it. Um, so then we've got to think about, OK, we need HRT. So we let's take it that you have not had a hysterectomy or um, had your womb removed. So therefore, you're going to need oestrogen and progesterone. So we've got to think about how we're going to give this to you. So there's a couple of choices and they boil down to by tablet, by where you take it by mouth. um, And then the other options are where you absorb it through the skin. So Mm -hmm. that's either by patch or by gel or there is a spray as well. Um, And how do we make a choice which way we give it to you? Well, we obviously always take into account your preferences, but generally I would go for the transdermal or through the skin option. The reason being, and I'll just run through this really quickly, is because the oral oestrogen can um, cause problems for some women with gut absorption. If 
you have any issues with gut absorption, you actually won't absorb it properly into your body. So you think you're taking your hormone, you're not getting better and you're, you know, obviously worried about that. And it may simply be that you're not adequately absorbing it. Okay. Other things, it can lower your libido. That to me is a major reason not to go with it because most women who come in to see me already have low libido. So I don't want to do anything that's going to potentially Mm. affect that. Um, also, it can worsen headaches and, and it's it's not allowed for people who have migraines and many women are getting worsening migraines and there is a small increased clot risk. So for any woman who's overweight, is a smoker, has risk factors for heart disease, it's not going to be good for them. So they're all the reasons why I usually say, look, you could take it by mouth, but I would go for through the skin. Mm. And then when we're talking about absorbing through the skin, we're talking about a patch. Now, this when we talk about a patch, women have all sorts of different images in their head <laughs> of a patch. So I love to take out the little estradot patch which is this tiny square about the size of like um, half the size of an elastoplast plaster or even Mm. a third of that size and it's clear it's see-through it's really discreet it goes on um, your lower body or your tummy and you absorb you change it twice a week so that's a nice option and there's other patches there's other brand names as well and that's um, a perfectly good option then there are other choices like the gel, which you apply either once or twice a day. And again, that when we're talking about gel, we're talking about a tiny amount of a clear, uh, like viscous liquid, kind of like an aftersun. But we'd be talking about a, a blob the size of a two euro coin or even a one euro coin in some cases that you're rubbing in to an area of your skin. So like it's a very... Um, it's a very easy thing to do. It doesn't have a big impact on your lifestyle. You're not talking about, you know, some large amount of watery, uh, you know, um, uh, gel. It's a very easy to use um, product. And but you do need advice, obviously, on how to use it and proper proper counselling around that. And then the last one is the spray, which is relatively new. It's called Lenzetto. And again, that's a nice option for some women. Mm. Really when and and sorry so that's the estrogen so we're talking either by tablet by patch by gel or by spray and then progesterone we're talking about either taking it by mouth um, as a tablet or joining it together with your estrogen and taking it in a patch generally and there are different reasons why you would choose one over the other in general I would go for the tablet form of the progesterone it's a little bit more of a nuisance because okay maybe you use your gel and now you also take a little pill at night but the nice thing is that that particular type of progesterone the utrogestin is one of the body identical progesterones and we'll talk about that maybe a little Mm. bit later on but basically it's one of the safest it's got the best the safest side effect uh, the safest um profile in terms of like breast cancer risk and things like that and also it has the um, lowest side effect profile now that leads me on to a really important point which is that idea that your HRT regime is going to be individualised to your needs. Mm. Every woman is different. And the longer I work in this area, the more I really appreciate the nuances of that. And the strange thing is that occasionally I will give a woman the utrogestin, which is supposed to have the lowest side effect profile. And in fact, that woman, it may not suit her and she may do better with one of the other progesterones, which is not supposed to have as low a side effect profile. So it, what that really says to me is that we have to be so careful to not um, kind of to not give out a message that HRT is simply something you take off a shelf, you start mm. and that's the end of it. It is very much about tailoring your particular, for want of a better word, your mixture of HRT to you, to your body and your needs. And that can 
really needs to be done by someone who has experience using it and is used to seeing the side effects so that you can pick up on it quite quickly. Um, because the last thing we want to do is give you HRT, which maybe is giving you some side effects like, you know, significant breast tenderness or bloating, nausea, nausea, yeah. all the rest and things that are actually adding to your symptom load. And all the while, maybe you're not on the right dose and we may not be adequately controlling the symptoms you came in with. So it is on the one hand, it's quite I think it can be quite simple to understand the principles behind what we're giving you. But the tweaking of the regime mm. to you does require some attention. Now, for many women who come into me, probably I would estimate about six or seven out of ten. It's going to be very straightforward. I'll suggest something. They will be they will do well with it and there'll be no issues. Maybe a slight dose adjustment, but that'll be it. But for certainly two out of ten, I would say there is some tweaking re- required. And that's where I think continuity of care and ongoing support for probably the first two, three visits is really important to get you to get you to a place where you figured out your regime. Then you can go forward um, with that regime and generally it won't require much tweaking beyond that. Once mm. we've figured out what suits you, generally then it's simply maybe a dose adjustment, you know, in, in a year's time or something like mm. that. But I, I just think it's so sad when people disappear off the radar thinking, oh, this didn't work for me. It made me worse. And I say, it's just such a pity that we didn't have another chat or that you didn't have another chat with the doctor you were talking to mm. because this could have been made um, this could have been been sorted out for you. Isn't, I, I think one of the things that I see a lot when it comes to HRT, patience, you need to have patience, you need to give it time because, you know, sometimes, as you mentioned, you can, you're, it may not be right from the beginning. Yeah. So you have to tweak, you have to get together what's going to work on the base that every single woman is individual so it's going to respond differently yeah. um, when you think about that Sarah like you know I'm often asked how long how yeah. long can should I be given it for it to settle down yeah. how long would you recommend well it's interesting the British Menopause Society guidelines actually say that we shouldn't do a dose adjustment before a three months <clears throat> excuse me and um, I do find that I, for, what I'm generally advising women is to come back in three months. But if you feel that you're stuck and that nothing's improving or if you feel that you're getting significant side effects to come back sooner at six to eight weeks. Um, if you feel that you're steadily on the uphill uh, go, going, you know, improving mm. with the regime, then that's fine. We can leave it to three months. But and I think you do need to leave it a minimum of six weeks unless you're having really significant side effects like and, and that's really rare. But I think you need to give it like six to eight weeks to have a sense of whether um, whether you're in trouble, you know, with some side effects. And part of that is not just about medication adjustment, but it's about supporting you on this journey. Mm. Like the the women I meet who come into me have generally come in after months of feeling on the whole really unwell. They're utterly depleted. They're like ability to cope and their levels of exhaustion and just being burnt out and worn out are like really significant. So they're now coming in thinking, OK, please give me something that's going to fix this. Mm. So I make suggestions and obviously I frame, you know, there is a very positive uh, story about HRT and there's positive inf- information to be given but then you can see like a a, a, you know it's easy to understand how if you if you start a medication you go to the chemist you collect your stuff and you go through reading all the leaflets and you put you put the medication or the gel on say it's a big deal it's a big step for most women and then you wait and wait and wait and nothing gets better and perhaps Mm. your breasts occasionally become rock hard and really sore and you're bloated and you're more irritable 
which can occasionally mm. be a side effect, then, you know, for those women, not only do they possibly need like adjusting a medication, but more than that, they need a chat. They yeah. need someone to hold yeah. their hand and say, listen, it's OK. I own like I recognize these symptoms. They are we can clearly explain them and we can watch them for the next three months and often they improve or perhaps they're so significant that, you know, you need to make, we need to make adjustments. But I think the piece that sometimes is missing here is that like women don't just need medical care, but they also need the kind of um, the support of listening from Mm. and ideally from somebody who's qualified, you know, medically to comment on the medical issues. But there is like, this is a really significant journey. It's a journey for the women. It's a journey for their partners. If they're in a relationship, it's a journey for their kids Mm. because this is, and their work colleagues, like this is impacting on their lives mm. in, a, in the round and it's so wonderful when women come in and they start something and they you know immediately respond which some women do and it's great to see it and they come bouncing back at 12 weeks and it's been a really positive story but there are the women who have a more bumpy first few weeks mm. and I think that it's important to recognise that and not just to think of it in terms of time frames of, of adjusting medication but to think about the support that they need during that time. Yeah. And what speaks like what highlights that to me is some women come to my clinic who may have tried HRT five years ago, have had really severe symptoms um, over the past five years. And they say, I tried something five years ago. I tried it for six months. It didn't agree with me. So I gave up. And that was the end of it. And Mm. it's so unfortunate. We're four and a half years later. This woman has been through like four and a half. Through the mill. Yeah. Yeah. And all for want maybe of, you know, that conversation to encourage her to persist and to be Mm. patient. But yeah, in terms of the patients, hormones are not an overnight issue, like an overnight fix. They do require patience. Mm. And you're talking in terms of generally weeks, you know, certainly two, three months it should be possible to figure out what's going on in that time frame, but it's not going to be kind of days. And I've had one woman who rang me back (laughs) 10 days later saying like, I'm, you know, this isn't working. And I said, look, I'm sorry, but we did talk Mm. about this and Mm. it's going to take time. So I think that's important to understand. But that's where that first visit is so important to to set the expectations realistically. And I do always flag most women do really well with it and actually begin to feel better quite quickly. But occasionally women have a bumpy first few weeks Mm. and that doesn't mean that they're not going to achieve the same symptom improvement in the long term but it just means that it sometimes they take a little while to get used to the hormone. Yeah. And, and you mentioned support there. I mean, support, I, I talk about this a lot. Support is a bedrock of menopause. Um, we need support, you know, from your doctor, from your work colleagues, from your family, etc. And I think the whatever route you take, whether it's HRT, um, non-hormonal treatment or, you know, holistic therapies, you still have to have support because I think without that, it does make it a more challenging journey, you know. Um, uh, When we talk about, uh, we've been talking there primarily about uh, progesterone and oestrogen. And just before we move on, can we just talk a little bit about the marina coil? Because I know I get a lot of questions again on that in relation to how does that fit in with um, your HRT or can it? Yeah, it certainly can. And actually the marina, I suppose before we talk about the marina or how it works in terms of HRT, one of the common questions I get is just how will I know if 
I have the Mirena in. How do I know where I'm at with my mm. periods if I'm somebody who's not getting any bleeds with the Mirena? And the answer to that is it comes back to the whole thing about perimenopause and menopause, which is that we're not really interested in your bleeds. Mm. We're interested in how you're feeling. And um, so whether you're having um, irregular bleeding, irregular periods or um, lightning periods or no periods, the bottom line is the determination about HRT use will be made based on how you're feeling and an assessment of you in terms of your symptoms. So even if you have a Mirena in and you're not having any bleeds, but you notice I'm not feeling like myself mm. anymore. And I say that deliberately because I don't want to put a particular symptom on it because I think the symptoms are so varied. <laughs> and the longer I do this, the more varied they are. Mm. They they stretch far beyond the list that's on yeah. the menopause, you know, all this Big menopause time. symptom yeah. scores. So all I say to women from their late 30s to their 60s is if you're not feeling like yourself, you should talk to a doctor with an interest in women's health to make sure that this is not a hormone issue. There's lots of other things it could be, but mm. like check that out, have mm. it on your radar. So same goes for the women with the Mirena's in, whether you're bleeding, not bleeding. Uh, if you're not feeling like yourself, don't be afraid to go talk to a doctor. And then in terms of the Mirena, um, and HRT. So the Mirena contains progesterone, releases progesterone on the lining of the womb, and it can be the progesterone part of the HRT. So at the start of this, we were talking about what is HRT. So HRT mm-hmm. contains your estrogen to fix your symptoms. It contains your progesterone, put very simply, to protect the lining of the womb. So if your Mirena has been put in within the last five years, it can be the progesterone part of your HRT to protect the lining of the womb. It will do other things like be your contraception and maybe make your periods lighter if you're having bleeds. Mm. But in terms of your HRT, yes, it can be that. Beyond five years, it can't. And that's really important. So if a woman comes to me looking for HRT and says she has a Mirena in, the first question I ask is, when did you get a put in? And... um. Just, I suppose, a little extra detail. Um, if you get your Mirena put in over four, over the age of 45, it can stay in for up to 10 years as a contraceptive, but it'll only be good for your HRT progesterone part for the first five years. Mm-hmm. So you will hear of your friend maybe who says, I've got a Mirena, but the doctor put me on a progesterone tablet as well. And then if you want to be really knowledgeable, you can say to her, oh, was your Mirena in more than five years? And if she says yes, well, that's your answer. They're leaving the Mirena there as a contraceptive, but they're now using a top up of the oral progesterone to protect the lining of the womb. Okay. And I guess while we're on that, when we're talking about progesterone, there are two types, there are two ways of taking progesterone. There's a no bleed preparation and a bleed preparation. And what that basically means is if you are still having periods, Uh, then we will have to give you progesterone for about half the days of the month. Because if we give you progesterone continuously, it'll cause you to have lots of irregular bleeding and that we can't have that because then that requires investigations with gynecology and that. So basically, if you're still having periods, you will end up taking your progesterone just half the days of the month. And the idea is that you'll have a light bleed um, on the, around about the time that you finish the progesterone. So it'll, you'll continue to have a light bleed with that. Obviously, most women would prefer not to have periods. So if your periods have stopped um, and your doctor will make a judgment on how long they need to have stopped for, then you can move to a no bleed preparation. And the way you take progesterone to, ha- to have no bleed is you use a lower dose every day of the month. So okay. you might say, like, how do you decide how you're going to do that, how you're going to use your progesterone, whether every day or some days? And the answer is having periods, you take it some days of the month, about half. And if you have no periods, you take it every day of the month. 
Okay, okay. And you know when um, you do get the marina coil um, inserted, I've, you know, so, so many times you'll hear of women getting it taken out. Um, again, do, does that go back to, you know, you need again to be ready to wait, that it's going to take some time for it to settle down in your body. And then on the other side of that, you can have many women who have no issues with it whatsoever. Um, Is that your experience as well, that, you know, you'd see that? Yeah, like I think part of getting your marina in is a really important chat beforehand um, about what to expect. Mm. And um, like the marina is a great um, um, tool in our in our toolkit to use both as a contraceptive for heavy bleeding like women hardly ever have hysterectomies for, for heavy bleeding anymore whereas in like our mother's day it was so yeah. common because yeah. this wasn't here um, so it's a it's a really really good um, uh, item to use or medicine to use but the problem is um, if you don't explain properly beforehand so what the really important message I say to women is like you're looking at probably six to ten weeks of a bedding in period um, during which it's going to be like a little bit bumpy and during the, you have to be prepared to buy into that in order to get your five or ten years. Um, now I've had women come and when I talk about what does bumpy mean it means irritating drip drip bleeding mm-hmm. um, sometimes like five days of heavy bleeding followed by drip drip bleeding followed by another five days of heavy bleeding and eventually that in the majority of women will taper out you might feel a bit bloated you might have breast tenderness um, but generally by ten by by six weeks in the majority of women, that's all settled by 10 weeks in the few outliers. And then like I've I've only taken I would put in probably three morenas a week and I've taken out four in the past three years. So okay. it's it's very rare that we have to do it once you counsel people properly. The other mm. thing I say to women, because I'd be doing this a lot for younger women as a contraceptive before we ever get into the whole hormone issues in their 40s and um, or 50s. And And um, I would usually say to them, like, look, if you're getting married in the next two months, I wouldn't put in a marina now because you've probably been measured for your dress. Your breasts are probably going to get bigger. You're going to feel a bit bloated. You're going to have irritating bleeding. Do it at a time in your life when you're not going on that trip of a lifetime or getting (laughs) married. And if you've just had a baby, maybe give yourself a chance, maybe go on the progesterone only pill, Mm. provided you are... Um, sure you're not going to forget to take it right Um, yeah that like you know we don't need to rush into this Mm. and it's about kind of just having that you know I suppose um, uh, taking account of where the woman's at in her life Um, and equally if they're a little bit older like some women in their 50s going on HRT say well should I get a marina and if their bleeding isn't heavy and you know ideally like getting a marina is not it's not a it's a very uh, you know uh, uh, um a procedure that's well tolerated but at the same time it is a procedure and some women might say well I would suggest to them well look you could take the utrogestin the, pro- the progesterone tablet by mouth and not bother with the marina mm. and you know that that's where you kind of look at a patient-centered decision let's say a woman has some vaginal dryness do we really want to go poking around putting in a marina and causing her discomfort when there's other alternatives there that mm. you know might be a better choice for her so I think we have like a bunch of different um, items that we can use um, as part of our HRT toolkit. And I, in my clinic, I have them like on a little table and I kind of take them over and say, look, this is what we have. This is why this might be an advantage. This is this might work better for you because of this. And it's just nice to kind of thrash it out. Um, and also to, I suppose, to just highlight to the woman that it's, you know, it's a really individualized choice and that that, that it's not 
a one size fits all. And I think mm. that's the really important take home message. Mm. So if you start something doesn't suit you, don't panic. There's lots of other options. Yeah. And I think choice, Sarah, is so important because even the empowerment you feel by actually seeing, you know, what a Marina coil looks like, what you Eutrogestin looks like, what the gels, the sprays, yeah. all of that empowers you with knowledge, which I think is really important in menopause. Um, one aspect of it, and you just touched on it there, and I know it's a big one. I've talked about this on many occasions, vaginal dryness. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at that, we're very much, I know for the most part, we're talking about local oestrogen. Can you just talk about that for um, yeah, a sure. little bit? Well, I was actually reflecting on it recently. I was doing a, a little chat about it on Instagram and I I think one of the nice ways to approach this is to like to have a to have a kind of little question you can ask yourself and the question I find works really well for women is are you aware of your vagina and if you're aware of your vagina it probably means most of the time you shouldn't be and if you are there's probably a problem and um, women come to me they when they come into the room to talk about perimenopause and menopause they never come in saying my, my vagina is my problem mm. it's everything else um, and that often gets missed in the mix but actually it's it's a really important um, symptom to pick up on uh, the women who do complain of it more are unfortunately the older women in their like late 60s 70s 80s who got missed on this and now have really significant problems and it can lead to recurrent urinary tract mm-hmm. infections and things like that so basically I would say that if you're somebody who is finding that you're itchy you're dry you're uncomfortable you notice that you're like leggings and jeans are more uncomfortable you find that you're getting thrush all the time is often like and you may have found you come back to the doctor three or four times for for treatment for thrush where you never you know you might mm-hmm. have gone once a year before and um, then you may also have symptoms like urinary frequency and um, leaking urine can be more common sex can be painful and uh, that's a whole other area which maybe we might touch on in, because it is so important and again it's not what generally brings the women into me like the very odd woman flags it as being her major issue but most women are so worn out in every other way that it's the last thing on their mind and um, so just sticking to the vaginal dryness basically if you if you're having any of those symptoms um, you may benefit from uh, topical oestrogen and a lot of women say well if I'm taking HRT why do I need the topical oestrogen when we say topical we mean using it directly in the vaginal area and the reason is that even if you're on HRT um, absorbing it through the skin or by, by a tablet it may, there, it may it, often your vagina needs additional oestrogen mm-hmm. replacement because there's a lot of oestrogen receptors down there. So when we give back oestrogen to the vagina, we restore the lubrication and the thickness and the, the healthiness of the vaginal tissue. Elasticity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it means that sex isn't painful and um, you're not uncomfortable. Lubrication is better during intercourse. Um, but while you're wa- and so so we can do that in a couple of ways. There's kind of two main products we use. One is called Vagifem. One is called Invagis. Vagifem comes with a little plastic stick. You put it in. I prefer the other one, the Invagis, because it's like a little waxy pellet, like a Paralink suppository, if you've ever used those with children. And you just pop that in at night. Important note, sometimes people don't get a long enough treatment course at the start. So the idea is that we give you a boost of vaginal oestrogen at the start of your treatment. Um, Usually I do it for a month. A lot of the product literature says two weeks, but we find that by giving a a decent boost at the start, you, you allow 
like complete healing up of the vaginal area. You restore the the the, the change, or you, you heal the changes, or restore the changes that have happened due to lack of estrogen. And after that, then you go on a maintenance treatment. And ideally, that should be lifelong. You know, you maybe can take short breaks, but it's not something that's going to. Um, it's, it's something you're going to need lifelong because it's mm-hmm. a lifelong estrogen deficiency state. The other thing that's important just to think about is like cotton, the usual stuff, cotton underwear. If you're leaking urine, you're probably going to be wearing panty liners a lot. Mm. A lot of the panty liners liners have a lot of allergens in them. So you can get this contact dermatitis where it irritates the area. If you're already dry and raw, it like exacerbates everything. So there are some really nice, I suppose there's two things. Number one, you should be talking to your doctor about why you're leaking. Mm. And Women's Health Physio has a massive role there. We have a wonderful new Women's Health Physio started upstairs in our clinic. And it's really just opened my eyes to... Um, like how much they bring to women's health. She pointed out to me that it's not normal to leak on the trampoline, which was a bit of an eye opener <laughs> for me personally. Um, so I, I think that that's something that's overlooked as well. And, you know, it's part of this whole, I suppose I'll just diverge for a second. Like HRT is something that obviously is a, can be a key part of managing perimenopause and menopause but there's so much else in the mix Mm. there's all the stuff that you talk about Catherine you know like the sleep the nutrition um, but also that like women's health physio like Mm. what you know um, your pelvic floor strength um, you know exercise weight bearing exercise bone protection like there's and I, I think that ideally this time for women perimenopause and menopause can be uh, when you come in contact with your doctor it can be a chance to like look at your whole health at that time and decide on a roadmap for you to go forward managing your health into your 50s 60s 70s Mm. 80s 90s because what we all want to do is live longer but also we all want to live longer healthy more healthy uh, so successful aging is where it's at Mm. and that starts in our 40s and 50s so all this stuff like uh, when you think about your you know, mild vaginal dryness in your mid 40s. And that might be an opportunity to start talking about, you know, your pelvic floor health. Mm. And then when you're 65, you're less likely to have low back pain and stop doing your, you know, your exercise as a result. So you're sort of putting in place really solid foundations for the future. Yeah. Um, I I think um, I talk about that a lot, like future proofing. And one of the big areas, and I'm seriously impressed if you are actually still on a trampoline (laughs) because (laughs) I haven't even tried that. I'd be too scared. But I um, I've been going to Maeve Whelan for a number of years now. And, you know, she's phenomenal in terms of pelvic health physio. And I do really advocate. I think everyone every woman at some point should check in with a women's health physio because we don't know what our core strength is like. We don't actually know how our bladder are things working the way they should be. And we do know a lot of the exercises that we were told to do years ago, like just squeeze it and release it like that isn't really the best way to do it, that there's much more effective ways to make sure we are, you know, um, really supporting our core muscles. And, you know, I think, you know, that links in obviously with exercise as well. But I, I do, I think you're right. I think an essential part of, you know, I kind of say, you know, your support team is going to be having a pelvic um, health physio as well. But, you know, because it's just so important and particularly when we get into the whole realm of vaginal dryness, like you say, I mean, I see that so much every day. I'd say I'll speak to somebody who's experiencing some extent of it. And probably I think one of the biggest issues I see is 
yes, there's the irritation, there's the pain that comes with it. And unfortunately, and I will just say, please don't self-diagnose as thrush because I see that happens a lot and women will use certain creams and make it worse. But one of the big difficulties is when it comes to relationships because if sex is painful, it has an impact. And as you say, when you compound that with exhaustion and many of the other symptoms, it can become really, really challenging. And one of the things that, uh, you know, once you've kind of chatted to your doctor and you've looked at, you know, is there vaginal dryness? Make sure you have a regime in place. The other thing that I always kind of say is, you know, just make sure you're using a good lubricant. You know, if you need to use also a vaginal moisturizer, it just becomes so important because you can build up such anxiety around um, sex that the pleasure is gone out of it and it becomes more of a kind of you tense up and it's like oh my god I'm going to be sore yeah you know yeah I do find like as I said libido isn't something that women come in talking about and when I raise it with them most uh, like probably 70% of the women throw their eyes up to heaven and say I couldn't care less if I never did it again <laughs> and then about 60% say but I feel sorry for him and, um, <laughs> and, and, it's, and what I say to them is like I think it should be brought firmly into the centre of the conversation and mm. um, at that initial visit like I guess from this conversation hopefully people can get the kind of sense that there's a lot going on here mm. we're not just talking mm. about hormones we're not just talking about um, even not just about vaginal symptoms there's like nutrition there's exercise there's sleep and then this idea of sexual well-being and so many women it's been a slippery slope to come to the point where they've entered a doctor's office it might have been going on for months but more likely it's probably been years and when you question people and say how long do you think you've been feeling unwell for they often say well you know as I look back I think this might have been going on for much longer than I first thought you know and literally you're talking years but the problem is it was a slippy slope where things just gradually disimproved Mm. COVID happened you know family stresses people sick people dying um, financial insecurity all that sort of stuff so I wasn't sure was it just me and now I'm beginning to realise and actually it's funny as we come out of COVID more people are going I'm beginning to realise this wasn't just COVID there's other stuff so um, but but then we talk about sexual well-being and I think the key to this is um, that it's so multifactorial it's like a bunch of threads that have all got tangled up and what I see in the mix is I see yeah hormones you're, you're, you know, your oestrogen is low so that might actually be affecting just your sex drive you see you get vaginal dryness so it hurts so that also makes you go well this isn't fun you also then get this mental block because it hurts Mm. the minute you start you freeze up and you get this thing called vaginismus where your vagina just sort of shuts and goes I don't want to do this Mm. and that then makes it more painful on top of the dryness then on top of that you have the fact that an awful lot of women find they put on weight and that's partly because of changes due to the lack of estrogen in your body and partly because you're feeling so wrecked that you can't make good food alcohol and exercise choices you're reaching for the glass of wine just to hope Mm. you'll get to sleep that night so um, you've put on weight often and you're not feeling good about yourself anymore you're generally fighting with the people in your life because you're irritable and your mood is low and exhausted and you've no patience left for anything and you may be socially withdrawn and not bothering to do the things that made you feel good before so all of those things are contributing to you ending up in a in terms of your sexual relationship in a place where nothing feels good anymore Mm. and then on top of that you throw in possibly teenagers or for some women (laughs) 
young children because we do have that mm. group of women who've just had their last baby at 42 and slide into perimenopause thinking they're postnatal yeah. that it's postnatal depression or something and gradually they start to go no like mm. this isn't right when the sweats come or yeah. something yeah. so there can be small children knocking on the door there can be teenagers you can have, be looking after an elderly relative and you may be like COVID financial insecurity housing insecurity mm. throw all that into the mix and when did you last get away for a weekend together yeah. What hope is there for this sexual relationship? <laughs> it's a tornado. Isn't it really it? is. So that's a... where I, I really feel strongly that the women mm. say, will this fix my libido? And I really think it's important to say like, not alone. You mm. need to give this some time mm. and some attention. Yeah. And go think how things were in your 20s. Did you give it more attention than you give it now? And what I use as a resource for that, there's a lovely book by Rosie King. She's an Australian doctor. Um it's uh, it's called Where Did My Libido Go? And it's a picture of a woman on her knees looking under the bed. And um, <laughs> But what she does is she teases out that tangle of threads and she even has a chapter on it for partners. And what I think, what I find really kind of, uh, I, I think it's the, the one of, a, it's a good way to approach it is to, I say to the ladies, let's treat your vaginal dryness today. We, I talk to them about a moisturiser and then I say why don't you go home I show them the book I have the book in my office because it's such a common theme and I say and they usually get smile slightly at the cover and then I say why don't you order it on book depository because that seems to be it's the place you can get it easiest by the time that comes your vaginal oestrogen will have kicked in you will hopefully have started your HRT and beginning to feel a little bit better mm-hmm. and you can start to slowly begin to think about how you want to reapproach this um, this whole area and hopefully your partner might see you bringing home that book and say oh you still care about this because we do have to think mm-hmm. about our if we're in a relationship and obviously sexual well-being whether you're in a relationship or not is a key part of us all so I think so so you know it's and I say that to all women because women, some women say I'm not sexually active and I say well your sexual well-being is still really important mm. and something that you know is important to have a think about but for those that are in, in relationships um, it's so I think it, it's nice for the man in their life to see them saying this is actually something that I care about that the doctor has flagged that there's a reason why this has been going down mm. the tubes and mm. that there is stuff we can do about it because mm. And I do point out to the women that typically their men folk are going to have been feeling a little bit rejected. They've totally, been, and, totally. And going yeah. through a hard time, like they've mm. been dealing with their partner who's mm. gone off the rails through no fault of her own. But, you know, they're trying to support her and they're going through their own challenges with that. Mm. So sometimes I feel like resources like a book in the house can be mm-hmm. sort of a joining together again mm-hmm. and saying listen there's a chapter in here for partners do you want to have a look at it I want yeah. to try and fix this yeah. because if you don't do that you're looking at coming into your 60s having lost this and I think the longer you leave it the harder mm-hmm. it is to reclaim it. And there's a great resource by um, my friend Diane Danzebrink uh, the menopause support in the UK yeah. I'll put it in the show notes but she has a great letter that she she recommends just leave it by the bed you know leave it somewhere for your partner to read which just at a high level is a gentle introduction because as you say I think it's important to let your partner know that you are aware and that you are looking at it and you're working your way through it because we know when it comes to um, particularly if it's if it's due to pain and so forth it will take time before you know your body heals and maybe by the time your local oestrogen and so forth kicks in you know, yeah. that can take time. Now um, usually it actually doesn't take that long Catherine like if you get a decent replacement within a month you should be 
for the majority of women. Mm. Now, obviously, there's, you know, there's cases where it's more severe, but for most women in like four to, four to eight weeks, you should actually, it's one of the things that happens much quicker than the other bits of HRT. And together with like the silk or the yes lubricants mm-hmm. and moisturizers, like you should, and, and hopefully you're not using shower gel, you're no longer putting yeah. pseudocreme there, like some women tell <laughs> me and things like that. So, so hopefully yeah. you're no longer, you know, so, so there's actually a lot you can do there. I do think as well, I suppose it's natural as women that we get a bit defensive about it um you know and and sometimes almost turn away and say oh it doesn't matter to me anymore mm. and i think i think as a as a doctor it can be somewhat therapeutic for a woman to kind of say well actually sexual well-being is important for your whole health mm. if so if mm. for no reason no other reason mm. um it's you know you don't miss it when you don't have it but when you have it it adds an additional richness to your life and there's all these studies that show that people who who have um, you know, more, better sexual well-being have an, oh, better overall health as mm. they age. And even even if we take masturbation, like even looking at that is you are increasing blood flow into the whole, you know, into the vaginal area and everything, which, again, is so important, you know, depending, as you say, whether you're in a relationship or not. And what about, Sarah, do you work with testosterone much? Because I know it's getting a lot more coverage in the UK. It's getting an awful lot of coverage and. It's it's a bit of a double edged sword. Like I think one 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 woman during the week said to me, um, I watched a podcast about a testosterone and it totally fits with what with how I'm feeling. And the problem was she'd only just started on estrogen, on HRT, and she wasn't at this point adequately estrogen replaced. There was no way she could be. So yes, everything she heard about testosterone fitted with how she was feeling, but. Equally, those symptoms have complete crossover with estrogen deficiency. So uh, it was quite actually quite a a challenge to sort of explain. And, and, you know, obviously women just want to feel better. And I totally Mm. understand that Mm. they want to feel better as soon as possible. And they've been you know, putting up with things for a long time. But as you said, you do have to have patience. And the, the overall message with testosterone is that ideally you should be adequately estrogen replaced first. And then if there are outstanding issues. So, you know, typically what occasionally would happen, and it's actually very rare, I find in the majority of perimenopause and menopause women that you need to use testosterone. But if you do, like they might come in with a full house of symptoms where, you know, they're complaining of all the classic um, Mm. estrogen deficiency symptoms and everything gets better except perhaps libido and maybe brain fog or or things like that. And Mm. that then would be a pointer to say like the joint pains went away, the, the headaches went away, the sweats went away. But I still just have no sex drive and mm. I still feel very foggy. Those After are the women. how long would that be? Usually three to four months. Three to four and months, yeah. depending that they would have kind of moved smoothly through that mm. three to four months. Mm. Um, but actually I could count on, you know, one hand the number of women who actually end up needing testosterone. Um, the majority of women do really well just with HRT. Um, so I think that it's great that women are empowered with knowledge and you know, aware of all these, uh, you know, products Options. that, uh, yeah, and, and sort of different aspects of HRT care. It's a, such a far cry from the old days <laughs> and, and that's wonderful. But then I think it's important that you you still, I think, need the, the, um, the medical input mm. to understand mm. this individualised treatment plan, where the products sit for you 
and um, to, to that they're used kind of appropriately yeah. and um, hopefully that it can all be explained to you so that at no point you're you're left feeling like she's denying me something that would make me feel better because mm. I understand like uh, women have often been knocking on doors you know repeatedly to try and get help with their symptoms and feel like frustrated and disempowered so the last thing you need is you know a doctor kind of saying oh you don't need that um in a way that can that feels uh, disempowering yeah. so I try my best to have the conversation in a way that explains the rationale for the decision and mm. sort of under um and highlights the fact that this is um an ongoing relationship over the next kind of you know three to six months particularly where we'll be stabilizing things and then seeing what else needs to be added there was a headline that said uh, testosterone the icing on the cake <laughs> and you know we all love icing so um <laughs> when i saw that i was like oh like that it's yeah for the for the tiny five maybe i don't know the figures exactly but like in my practice maybe like three percent of women or something yeah so it's a very small subset and when you see that headline and you see a picture of big iced cake it kind of I can see how that would really stick in women's yeah. heads so I would urge people maybe to definitely keep it there in the back of their heads but not to pin mm. their hopes on it and it goes back to you have to be patient you have to let you know your first part of the treatment run its course settle down and then kind of see where things are at yeah um, one big area of HRT the risks and the benefits um, look, we know media sensationalization. There's been so much over the last number of years. And I think in a good way, we're seeing some of that being overturned. And obviously, you know, no, more needs to happen on that. But how would you just summarize in terms of, you know, what what are the valid concerns? Yeah, well, I have a patient information sheet where I do um, that. I give p- patients to take home so that they can kind of read and reflect on it now. It is necessary to somewhat condense and, you know, to, to summarise the information um, because it is quite complex um, when you look at all the studies. But in a nutshell, I suppose I divide it into risks and benefits of HRT. So just starting with the benefits, you reduce your symptom load, improve your quality of life um, if it's working well for you. And if your symptoms were originally due to oestrogen deficiency. Um, secondly, it's protective for your bones. So it ha- 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 protects against osteoporosis and it has a role for the majority of women in protecting against heart disease uh, if it started within 10 years of your last period or under the age of 60. So that's all, they're all reasons why we would go for it. Um, The big thing is uh, breast cancer, I guess, is Mm -hmm. is the big one that women come into me talking about. And I divide when I'm talk- talking, I look at the woman across from me to, to, to in order to give her the best information about breast cancer risk. So if that lady is has put on a lot of weight because of, you know, f- generally because of feeling so unwell, not being able to exercise and um, not being able to make good food and alcohol choices because she's feeling wrecked, then um, it, that is a factor that. Um, body mass over 30 so it's quite easy to hit that like once Mm -hmm. you've put on a few stone it's easy to hit Mm -hmm. that body mass over 30 and that is a really significant factor for for increased risk of breast cancer which I think is completely under reported and under emphasized to women so so many women are sitting across from me with a body mass index of 30 
30, 32, 34, 36, 38, 44. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's crept up over time. And they're saying, I'm terrified of breast cancer. And I take out the sheet and there's a really nice um, uh, kind of a visual mm. from the British Menopause Society, which shows you in with little pink bodies. And it shows that uh, weight, body mass over 30, 24 extra cases per 1000 women, HRT, now, this is a simplification, but four extra cases per 1,000 women. So you're talking six times more risk with your weight than with mm. breast cancer. Mm. Now, the second part of it is on that sheet, they show, they show that there's seven fewer cases of breast cancer if you take two and a half hours moderate exercise a week. That's a 30 minute walk five days a week. Mm. It's not that hard to achieve. But if your joints are creaking, you're exhausted, you haven't slept, you've no motivation and you're feeling totally dispirited, you're not going to do that. Mm. So if I could say to you, and then finally, just sorry, alcohol, a big glass of wine every night gives you five extra cases. Mm. So many women are reaching for a drink to get through making dinner or to COVID, COVID and mm. to help them fall asleep that night. I hear a lot as well. Mm. You know, I just I just think I'm hoping oh, it'll I make know. me sleep, but it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and also because their mood is low and, mm. and often you hope it'll make mm. you feel better. It does transiently sometimes and then it has a rebound mm. uh, depressive effect. So if so, the way I speak to those women is I say, look, there is a treatment here that can improve your, you know, your energy, your mood, your ability and your, your joint pains and that and can improve your ability to engage with food, exercise and alcohol choices. And that is directly going to impact on your breast cancer risk to a much greater extent than the tiny increase which is attributed to to HRT. And for me, counselling those women, it makes so much sense mm. for them to mm. go on HRT. Mm. Now, um, I'm going to talk about another group then, which are increasingly coming in. Um, and particularly now that there's a lot more publicity around symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. And these are really lean women who are exercising a lot um, who don't drink, don't smoke um, and have like a super healthy diet. So for those women, it's a different conversation. Mm. And I think it's really important to separate it out. So for those women, what I'm saying is that there is no breast cancer risk up to the age of 50. And no increased breast cancer risk. So and that also goes for the women who, you know, may have weight issues and may have other risk factors for breast cancer. And for them, HRT has no additive risk up to the age of 50. The current data would say would would show us that if if you use the body identical hormones and there are the particular the, the, the utrogestin, which is one of the progesterone tablets and the um, the the one, the the estradiol gels or patches that there is no increased risk for the first five years of using HRT. And after that, there's a very small increased risk. Mm. So even if you have no other risk factors of breast cancer, it still makes a lot of sense for me to, I believe, in terms of risk benefit, to recommend it to a woman who's, you know, 44 up to 50, she's going to have no increased risk and over 50 um, the current data would show that there's no increased risk for the first five years and after that a very small increased risk um, she is the likelihood is she might well be off it by the end of those five years and if she chooses to still be on it it is a very very small increased risk mm. the other thing to say is um, that we the they, we understand and that they, all the, the, the evidence would show that HRT does not cause breast cancer if you or I had a tiny undetected breast cancer um, it, that was sensitive to oestrogen, it may cause it to grow slightly faster so that it would become detected on imaging sooner. But we would not have caused our breast cancer by going on HRT. And I think that's a really important 
um, message for women, and, and we're talking here about women who don't have a history of breast cancer, um, than a personal history of breast cancer. That's a different group mm. and that's quite complex. Certainly, so, so sorry, just to finish with that. So basically, I think that um, as a doctor who works in this area, you know, I think that HRT is in some cases will actually end up reducing your risk of breast cancer for those women who've got all these other risks that they're kind of ignoring mm. and don't recognise mm. as risks. Like the heavy weight, alcohol, so etc. Weight, alcohol and not exercising. Isn't it amazing that like a 30 minute walk five days yeah. a week can reduce your risk by five, but sorry, by seven, seven cases. Yeah. Like and that's quite a simple intervention. And yet we're sitting there having this really complicated conversation about fear of breast cancer. And there's this one mm. intervention that, that they could make that would actually. And it's free. It, and, and, and it's not joining a gym. It's not anything yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's also going to improve your cardiovascular health. Mm. It's also going to help with your mood. So I that comes back again to my point that I see this as like an opportunity for women to do like an MOT on their mm. life. Look mm. at where do I want to be in in one year, in five years, in 10 years, what mm. type of person do I want to be as I go into my 40s, into my 50s? And I see this whole time, whether you're 41 and you're devastated at the mention of perimenopause or whether you're 52 and you're kind of starting to think, oh, is this me? Is this getting old? I see this actually as an opportunity, as a pause, as something you'll look back on as something that was like a positive turning point where you got to kind of recalibrate things. Mm. You, you have more time for self-care, hopefully, in your life. And you're kind of able to say, right, now is the time to look after me because most women, it's a bit of a generalisation, but the majority tend to send everyone else to the doctor, you know, spend their day looking after other people and then not extra drive the kids everywhere and then not exercise themselves because yeah. they're so busy doing that. Yeah. So it kind of throws a spotlight on them and says, mm. now is your time to look after mm. your health. How do you want to be as you get a little bit older? And even for those women in their 40s, it's it's it has to be a good thing to begin to improve mm. your self-care and ultimately is going to make you feel better. Big time. I know the Japanese, I, I'm a huge fan of um, uh, Japanese culture and they have a fabulous term for menopause, which is kanenkai, and it loosely translates as renewal years and energy. Mm. And I think this is where, like for me, it's all about the empowering side of menopause and you know once you have an understanding of HRT once you have an understanding of your options whatever that is for you because as we know every woman's experience is going to be different it is a time in your life where there is a spotlight as you mentioned and it's a good spotlight because it allows you for the first time probably in many years to think about yourself and to kind of look at well what do I need yeah. um, and Catherine would you mind if I just really quickly just for those women who have a personal history of breast cancer I mm -hmm. just think it's really important for them to hear there are lots of options in terms mm. of managing perimenopause and menopause symptoms and so often I kind of get asked by sisters of these women or you know there probably isn't anything is there she thinks there isn't anything and there is so much that can be done and even you know there there are no doors are ever closed it's always a patient-centered discussion so there are lots of non-hormonal options mm. and then there are hormonal options that can be explored so I think it's really important that um, women who have a personal history of breast cancer and there's so many of them among us um, feel 
that do not in any way feel excluded from this conversation. Yeah. Many of them have got a sense that the door is shut to them on this and it's just get through it. And I would urge them to um, bang on the door. <laughs> well, bang on the door. And then when they get in the door, say, do you mind me asking, do you have an interest in women's health? Mm. And if the if the doctor says no, could you direct me or get on, you know, get on to some resources, you know. You, yeah, you, well, they can contact me because, yeah. you know, as I, I keep a list of kind of, you know, um, uh, doctors like yourself t- throughout the country who I know have a specialised interest and I think look Dr Lundy trained um, another 600 GPs over the last two weeks in menopause specific areas so I think the more of that we have um, yeah. the more accessibility there'll be around the country hopefully sooner yeah. rather than later. Exactly <laughs> I just think it's so important that that every that yeah. nobody feels that a door is closed because for mm. too long in Ireland women were being told no and I think it's important that no small group is left feeling big time, that, big time. that the answer is yeah. no. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, as you know, that's one of my big passions. It's all a society. It's not just, you know, one one part. We have to make sure we're being fully inclusive. Um, Sarah, thanks a million. We That was awesome. a whistle stop, <laughs> a whistle stop <laughs> tour of, um, of HRT and menopause. But I think we covered a, a great deal and I'll share Sarah's details in the notes as well. So thanks again, Sarah. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Thank you.